You are listening to Faithless Brewing, a Magic the Gathering podcast for the Spike Robe. Each week we design new decks for tournament play. We put our creations to the test and share our findings on the air. Coming up on the brew session, Miria, Scholar of Antiquity, combines big mana and big card draw in a sleek gruel package. Is this a one-stop shop for artifact combo? Or is Miria just Urza at home? We're going to find out on Faithless Brewing. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show! Welcome to the Faithless Brewing Podcast. I am your host, Dan Schriever, also known as Cave Dan Online, coming to you live from the holy city of Jerusalem. Joining me today, all the way from Argentina, you know him as Mord to Light. It's Emi Sagasti. Emi, welcome. Hey, yo. How's it going, Dan? How's it going all the way from the holy city? Yeah, not bad. The weather's getting cooler, finally. It's kind of a long summer, but... Finally starting to get a little more comfortable. You know, Jerusalem is very walkable, but you get tricked into thinking that something's only like a kilometer or two away. And then you find out that it's in the scorching hot sun and there's all these hills. Sometimes there's a protest happening. <laughs> That's more like Argentina than Jerusalem. Yeah, you feel right at home here. <laughs> I would feel right at home. But glad to hear. At least for the nice hills part. So what do we have in store for us today, my beautiful Dan? My beautiful monk. (laughs) So it's a classic episode today. We've picked a new card. It's Maria, Scholar of Antiquity. Card that's seen a little bit of success yet, and it's got a lot of potential. So I wanted to make sure that we gave Maria her due, just sort of thought through the process of what makes Maria tick. So we're going to do that in both Modern and Pioneer. And then we're going to check in on some of the latest news from around the multiverse. Should be a quiet show, simple, nothing too fancy. All right, seems like a pretty efficient plan. Nothing fancy, just a tiny bit of a roundup, some bit of housekeeping, and a little bit of media. What can go wrong? And for some reason, I that in my head had the rhythm of Mambo number five. Excuse me, everybody. Did not see that coming. I know. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense, <laughs> but... Okay. So before we dive into the program for today, let's just get our housekeeping out of the way at the top. Just a quick reminder that if you're enjoying the show, the best way to support what we do is by joining our Patreon, which you can find at patreon.com slash faithlessbrewing. We do have two new patrons that I meant to welcome last time and I just completely forgot. They are Ara M and Steve B. Thank you very much to both those individuals. Apologize for the belated welcome. Uh, Yeah, we really appreciate it. Joining the Patreon gets you a number of benefits. You can get access to our wonderful Discord community. Also get other benefits, like you can vote for our monthly project. This is our Friday episode today, which means that uh, voting is still live for a few more hours. I believe it will close at midnight tonight, and it's a dead heat right now. Is it? Can you give us a teeny bit of spoilers? Come on, Dan. Indulge us. Give us the drama. All right, so last week we talked about uh, 14 cards. I call this 14 terrible cards that (laughs) might actually be sweet. 
And there are two of them that apparently struck a chord with people because like I've never seen two cards okay. get such a huge, overwhelming percentage of the vote. Oh damn. So we have two cards head to head, crushing the rest. They each have like almost fifty percent of the votes. That's insane. And if you're listening and thinking like the math doesn't check out, how can how can this work? Well, you get to vote for three, so yeah, yeah, of there's course. more than 100 percent available. <laughs> there's like a 300 percent available. Yeah, we're not just terrible at math. Well, I am, but like apart <laughs> from that, the voting kind of makes sense. We are a scholar and a, and a college dropout, everybody. We do what we can regarding math. <laughs> hey, you got to watch out for the college dropouts. They're the ones that are going to change the world. So, <laughs> but we're just scouting individuals, so we do what we can. Exactly, exactly. So if you want to come cast the tie-breaking vote, uh, get into the Patreon. <laughs> We'd love to have you there. Of course, whatever card wins, we'll be brewing with it all month alongside the guys from Serum Visions. And then, of course, next month we'll do it all again. Exactly. So hope you find a card you love. Please make your final votings before tonight. And let's hope we do it. Which was my hater for this week? You picked two. You picked... The Green March. Oh yeah, that was that's the one that can't win, but I'm sure people are smart enough to make sure it doesn't. Like I'm not suffering that one. Mm-hmm. And Arayo Sorotami Ascendance, just to spite Jiggy, you put that. Oh, on that one might win actually, because people love Shiggy's ideas. Mm. That actually <laughs> might threaten my position. <laughs> Everybody, if you haven't bought, go vote for aggressive mining. Well, I don't want to influence the vote too much, so I'm not going to reveal which two cards are the front runners. That seems perfect. We'll announce that on Monday, and we'll take our first crack at brewing with the card. Seems like a great plan. All right, Mar, what's going on in the wider world of magic? Oh, we have some beautiful, beautiful stuff that people love to complain about. Some of them coherent, some of them not. So first of all, we have what has swept the magic world because people actually struggle to understand simple things sometimes. Thank you, I became a bit of a David overnight. Um, <laughs> Infinity expansion. And with that release, a lot of people either not understanding which cards are legal and which not in internal formats, alongside people complaining about the few that are legal. We have two new mechanics entering Legacy, most importantly, and Commander, which are stickers and attractions. Attractions are the equivalent of the cranks from last um, an expansion, the ones you that you keep turning every single turn. Oh, the contraptions, exactly. assembling contraptions. Exactly. Attractions are the contraptions, a separate deck, a side deck of attractions. Exactly, which requires at least ten minimum different attractions. At at least ten minimum different ones. So is is this meant to be like? Space, but also amusement parks? This is a space circus. A space circus. Exactly. So you have beautiful creature types as vampire employee, elephant mouse performer, alien advisor guest, clown robot mime, gray mercant of alphabet, zombie performer, and a lot of beautiful stuff as such. Most importantly in this set, there's something to take into serious consideration, which is the holographic tag at the bottom of the card. If that's an acorn, it means the card is not eternal legal. I mean... <laughs> sorry, I'm just shaking my head here. <laughs> I know that we're a very specialized podcast, even within the, the wide world of Magic Podcasts. We're like a niche podcast. 
But most of what you just said, like, I can't process what you're saying. Like, what are all these words? <laughs> what is Unfinity, first of all? So Unfinity is the new unset. So these are parody sets that are made every a lot of years in Magic's history. Like, this has, I think this is the third one, if I'm not mistaken. I think it's the fourth or the fifth, actually. No, this is the fourth. No, this is the fourth because Shamstar doesn't, doesn't count. It's not an unset. Unglued, unhinged, on something. Unstable. And Infinity. Unstable. Okay. So Infinity, as per usual, comes with a lot of weird mechanics, and it's the first time these cards are in black border. Previously, all previous three sets are on gray border, and this one decided to go on black. Because according to Rose, to, to Mark Water, they wanted to make people know these are real magic cards. Like, these are not fake cards, these are real cards. However... If you make them look like real cards, people are going to assume they are playable cards, so they have to distinguish them in legality. Because a lot of these cards interact with stuff that are not legal in a magic game. For example, cards that say you may cast common spells from the top of your library, or choose a letter whenever you cast a spell whose name begins with a chosen letter, create a 2 2 cut creature with flying. This stuff, as normal as it might seem, you cannot add into the game due to language barrier and a lot of other restrictions that have to take into consideration. I think part of it is that, like, a lot of these cards don't actually work within the rules of the game. Exactly. You can't program this to work on Magic Online. Or anywhere. Because it doesn't actually, yeah, it's too much interpretation. Like, it kind of fudge things. But some of them, you can actually make them into real cards, and apparently they were doing that now. So, stickers are coming to Legacy. Attractions are coming to Legacy. Okay. And a bunch of weird cards. And <laughs> not only adding that, one of the first spoil cards for Legacy was Space Beleren, which divides the battlefield into three parts and then makes it so only one can block or only one gets countered. So, it works exactly. A really old card, the river. There's a raging river or something like that from long before I was born, and this acts exactly like that. And people are going over hills saying that it's insane, this is legal. <laughs> I mean, my first thought was that they were trying to take that other Richard Garfield game artifact, the one that was going to kill magic and then didn't and then disappeared, where you divide up three lanes. People think everything is going to kill magic and nothing ever will, so it's just a loop. I, mean, I think Infinity is going to kill Magic. No, Dan. Nothing is going to kill Magic. Magic is going to survive. Magic so. is going to survive. Magic is going to thrive. And in a year, they're going to release Lord of the Rings. And when you go turn one Golem, turn two Lord Boromir, that's going to be the peak of Magic. I mean, I hope you're right. I just, like... I don't know what it is. Like, I've been trying to avoid Infinity spoilers. But when I see them, when they make their way across my feed, like, I just... I don't get a good feeling about it. I get confused. I feel disoriented. I know that means that this product is not for me, so I should just try to avoid them. <laughs> it's so easy to avoid. Yeah, it is. Avoid it most of the time. The, the thing with them releasing so much stuff is that 80% of them is irrelevant for most people. I get interested in all of it because I'm an ADHD idiot that loves to read weird stuff. So I'm bored and I enter Mythic Spoiler and I take a laugh at how the cards are designed, either for the good laugh or the bad laugh. It's just like I was watching one of those Marvel movies the other day, um, Thor, Thor, Love and Thunder. It was just like a completely joyless corporate exercise. I don't know if you've seen this one, but, you know, Thor is supposed to be one of the more 
jokey, irreverent ones, like within the Marvel franchises, poking fun at the genre of not even superhero movies, but just like poking fun at the Marvel universe. And you reach this point where it's like the line between satire and the real thing is indistinguishable. Like there's a, there's a popular show on Amazon called the boys, which is supposed to be like a gritty send up of the whole Marvel genre. And like scene for scene, things that happen in the boys happen in Thor love and thunder. It's like, it's been absorbed by the institution. Like there's an amusement park and there's endorsements and product deals and stuff. And it's like, Oh, ha ha. Look at us. And you just like, it's just too confusing. It's too much. It's too much. And Unfinity gives me like a little bit of those vibes. So like, I have to like, just back away, just back away slowly and just try to avoid these spoilers. Cause it's not for, this is not for me as cool as the space basic lands are. This is not for me. Yeah. That's the most important part about it. You have two sets of lands that are amazingly beautiful, the Shoglands and the Basic Lands. The Basic Lands just are gorgeous, and there's like two sets of them. There's the in-planet ones and the outside-planet ones. Oh, really? Yeah, you have like the in-planet, like showing an ecosystem inside its planet, and then you have like the outer perspective, like showing it in outer space. Oh, nice. Yeah, I mean, always down for more beautiful basic lands. I mean, we just had the stained glass ones. We just had the Kamigawa ones. I mean, there's so many beautiful ones now. Look, an escapee. Oh, we got a kitten cam update. My God. We have an SKP. Ah. How old are the kittens now, Mord? 25 days. 25 days. And they're crawling now. They're just... <laughs> Mord's usual mattress that he uses to block the sound of the buses has been reappropriated as a kitten den. So <laughs> apologies for any weird sounds you hear. Yeah, we have, we have lost control of the house. Like each day they take more state. The cats have taken over the recording studio, but that's okay. It's worth it. <laughs> oh, Pippin is the smart one? Pippin is the father cat, by the way. So we have realized none of the father cats ever learned how to grab them by the, by the neck. So they're unable to transport them yet. Wow. So that means, give me a second, I have to do all the baby kitten transport. While Mord is retrieving the kittens, this is your reminder to go check out his stream at twitch.tv slash he does stream semi-regularly. He doesn't remember to talk about it, but there is a kitten cam set up. There's no time to waste. They're so cute right now. Don't think I'll do it later this week. I'll do it tomorrow. Do it now. Check it out now. They're so cute. Kitty. Hi. Hi. Go join the common pile. Exactly. So apart from Unfinity, what else is happening? So besides Infinity, which is like the peak of drama, the peak of drama as people love to complain, we have an actually good reason to complain, which is the Magic 30 cosplay contest. And that's not the contest itself. The contest was a great idea, as per usual. People love to show their actual amazing skills in it. We have a lot of amazing cosplayers in Magic. It was rather the prizes for the contest itself. So let's say you spend a few months, got yourself an amazing cosplay that rules the man. It's 80% made on your own. So that means that's actually a lot of hours that you have to bolt and a lot of money. Like most estimates are around 800, 900 bucks, to say the least. And your price is a hotel room for the upcoming event, a three-day badge for an upcoming event, and a $200 shown fabric gift card. Even if you go first, you go at a loss. A badge for an upcoming event, not Magic 30, not the one that you flew no. to attend. So some future event, of which none have been announced right now. 
one hotel room at said event. Okay. And then, of course, a cash prize. In this case, as good as cash, $200 gift card to Joanne Fabrics. <laughs> oh, my God. First prize. That's the grand prize at the Magic 30 cosplay contest. A $200 Joanne Fabrics gift card. Yeah, so I think they're going to hide because wizards are not stupid. Like, they are not stupid, so they, are, they have the ace in the hole, which is additional pricing and categories to be determined at a later day by sponsor. I think that small key is what they're going to use to protect themselves or add something closer to the date, because it's sort of an embarrassment right now. It's humiliating. It's super embarrassing. I think pe- people, whoever wrote this should be embarrassed. Whoever signed off on this should be embarrassed. They should be ashamed of themselves. Yeah, the idea, like, everybody can realize that 200 bucks is not relevant. I mean, it's not even 200 bucks. It's a gift card to Joanne Fabrics. And don't get me wrong, I, I like Joanne Fabrics. They're quite helpful. They're a little bit overpriced. Like, you can get a better price thrifting. But, you know, Joanne Fabrics serves a useful purpose. So I, I don't agree with the people who are like, what the hell is a Joanne Fabrics? Todd Anderson, I'm talking about you. You should know by now what a Joanne Fabrics is. I don't know, but it was, I was guessing it was like... It's a, a U.S. thing. Yeah, I guess like yeah. it was a U.S. thing. And like, the problem is not the gift card itself. Is what that leads to. Like, it's like, it's 200 bucks. Yeah, I mean, the fact that it's a gift card, I find a little bit insulting. It's like, what if it was a $200 gift card to Applebee's? It's like, yeah, everyone's got to eat. You can use it. You know, you'll, you'll get $200 worth of value when you go to Applebee's and get your barbecue rib tips or whatever. But, um, you know, it just feels so stingy. And it feels like part of that genre of like, okay, we announced some change. We give the bare minimum. We wait for the backlash to see how big the backlash is. And then we, you know, capitulate and do something to show that we're responsive to fans' concerns. It's like, why, why do that? Why not just make it good the first time? So we don't have to have this. Yeah, it, it was dumb. And I tend to say people in Magic like to complain about everything. Well, yeah. I mean, but this is one of the first times. No, no. But this is one of the first times I have to agree with the outlash. Yeah, exactly. I, I hope the winner like cosplays as Post Malone. That's, <laughs> that's what I want to see. <laughs> so. Last bit of news is we have an official date now for the Brothers War releasing on Magic Online and Magic Arena. It's going to be November 15th. Wait, did we go back to paper release before Magic release? Like for the third time in the cycle? I believe so, yeah. I believe they're doing that for Brothers War and I think also the next set too, if I'm reading this correctly. So I think that's good. I mean, we need like a little bit of a breather. The announced release cycle was had yeah. Brothers War coming up really close on the heels of Dominaria United, but I think that with this extra buffer, having digital come after the paper release, that will give us enough time to like explore and see what's what with Dominaria before we have to start looking at the next set. What I'm picturing is, I think that even if it's releasing in a month, they might have the spoiler release like in a few weeks, so in, we might have like a big time between spoilers and like actual release. That would be really fun. Like spoilers starting in two weeks. Yeah, I think that's okay. I mean, I think we'll have unfinished business with Dominaria. We'll see. We'll see. So, down to the card of the day. Media. Yes. Scholar of Antiquity, the real name, or as we call it here, Ursa at Home. 
I mean, this is an archaeologist. I, I love this because, as I mentioned last week, I'm at an archaeological institute right now, and part of our program is we have little lectures from visiting archaeologists. We take field trips to go check out like current excavations happening uh, in the land of Israel, Palestine, <laughs> and to go from that to like reading the story. Um, I think this was like episode two or three, episode two probably of the Dominaria United story, where Maria is an archaeologist in her own way. It's just not quite the same. It hits a little bit different <laughs> the way that they imagine these like archaeologists functioning. But uh, yeah, I mean, at least her card is powerful. I'll say that. Yeah. Also, I love that they went into finding a way to integrate Gruul into artifacts, because them being so like not only nature based but aggressive, it's really hard to make a artificer in Gruul, right? It's unexpected, right? These are not the colors we would expect. Let's keep that in mind, and let's read the card and make sure we understand what it does. Yeah, so one, a red and a green, so three mana for a 3-3 legendary creature, Elf Artificer. You may tap that untapped non-token artifact you control, the key there is untapped, and to add a green, sorry, the, the key there is non-token, of course, not the untapped, <laughs> excusez-moi. <laughs> and secondly, you may tap two untapped non-token artifacts you control, exile the top card of your library, you may play it this turn. So you will see... Two extreme similarities to Ursa, the, the same ability, almost the same two abilities, but instead of tapping any artifact to make a blue, you tap a non-token to make a green, and instead of paying five mana to shuffle your deck, see the top card of your deck and play it for free, you tap two non-token artifacts, excellent top card, and you may play this turn. The fact you don't play it for free means you don't have to shuffle your deck every single time, because it's not as easy to cheat stuff. Yeah, so the comparison with Urza jumps out right away, tapping artifacts for mana and having some kind of ability to play cards off the top of your deck. Obviously, Maria does not bring a construct with it, so not quite as powerful on that access, or maybe like a lower floor, we might say. Obviously, if Maria just dies, you'll be disappointed. The good news is that both of her abilities are activated abilities that you can use right away, right? They are not affected by summoning sickness because they don't have the tap symbol. So you could, if it's turn three, you play Maria, and if you already have a couple of pieces sitting around, whether that's, I don't know, a Springleaf Drum, a Mistress Bauble, an Experimental Synthesizer, whatever you want, you can immediately tap those for either of the two abilities, either adding green or exiling the top cards to get some card advantage back. So I think the play patterns will be quite different, meaningfully different from Urza, and of course the colors are quite different. There's similarities, but important differences that I think could open up some interesting brewing space. Yeah, also it's a 3 3 instead of a 1 4, which is a much more aggressive stat line, which doesn't make a lot of sense because it's really weird you want to play this in an aggressive deck. But at least if you don't have the construct, at least you're hitting for 3. <laughs> yeah, I mean, she blocks. She doesn't die to stomp. I mean, that, that's important. Uh, so, things to keep in mind legendary, that's fine. Elf Artificer, I think in this case, neither of those tribes make a difference because Maria is kind of asking for something very specific, right? A deck full of lots of non-token artifacts. Artificer tag is not irrelevant with something like Cavernous Souls as you have the two mana... The Goblin Engineer, Ursa, and Maria are all artificers. Okay. So it's sort of an almost... Oh yeah, I can see that. It's an, it's an almost big amount that you can actually play Cavern of Souls in that sort of deck and feel like you're actually getting some value out of it. Hmm. Yeah, that's a thought. I just assumed that a deck like that wouldn't be playing Cavern, but maybe it will. 
The biggest difference is going to be the non-token clause, as Emmy said, and that already just like totally changes our heuristics. Because whatever we were thinking, whatever our little shortcuts were, like, oh, I'm going to play Underworld Cookbook and make a bunch of food tokens. I'm going to play Gilded Goose. I'm going to make Urza Saga constructs. Like, you can do all that, but you can't use those for Maria. Right? Maria can only use actual real artifacts, you know, made out of cardboard, the real <laughs> stuff. <laughs> so the best way to fun with Maria, for example, I have seen is something like the artifact lands are such. Because that way there's a sling there and you get the ability of actually drawing a card by tapping two lands. I don't think you want artifact lands, right? I mean, that if a land already taps for mana, I think this is true of a lot of artifacts. If the purpose of the artifact was already to tap for mana, you're not getting that much benefit out of Maria. So I think for a similar reason, Springleaf Drum, Moonster Prototype, these cards are like okay with Maria, but they're not great. So you're giving them the upside of being super... Unlike Ursa, where you need five mana to draw a card, with Mary is only tapping two. So as long as your deck is super lower curve, it makes it a lot easier to start going through your deck. Yeah. Like, l let's say you have to find, like, a Kali, so you're looking for, like, sort of specific hate cards. Mary is actually drawing you a lot deeper, in general. Oh, she is. Yeah, no, I, I think that she's better than Ursa in that respect. I was just talking about specifically, like, what kind of oh, artifacts yeah. we're looking for okay. to power her up. One of my hypotheses is that, yes, we do want mana-producing artifacts, but they don't work that great with Maria because, you know, Maria letting you tap a Darksteel Citadel for a green does not do anything, right? Now, Maria letting you tap a Darksteel Citadel for a half of a card does do something very interesting. That's super interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Two other notes that I think are relevant. Um, the first is the interaction between Maria and Kin and Bonder Prodigy. And this would come up because one of the shells that has been successful does combine both of these two legends. Kinnon, Maria, and like a Paradox Engine shell, for example. Yeah, but it combines them in a rule of fate sort of way rather than a synergistic among themselves way. Exactly. So it may seem like Maria works with Kinnon, but in fact she does not, right? Kinnon only adds extra mana if the thing you are tapping actually had the tap symbol in it. That is what the game defines as tapping an artifact for mana. That's super weird. It is weird, right? I feel like they should fix that. They should somehow clarify. But it's the same reason that Kinnon does not work with Urza, right? Because even though Urza has the word tap written out and you end up tapping an artifact to make mana... You don't have the tap symbol. Yeah, you don't have the tap symbol, so you didn't do the game action of tapping for mana. Second note is that, yeah, you have one turn to play whatever card you find off Maria's second ability. So it says you can play the card this turn, um, so that means playing lands is okay. You don't have to, like, prepare your mana ahead of time, like like a Chandra that forces you to play the card immediately, or like Urza. Yeah. Well, actually, Urza's not like that. No, no, Urza, Urza, so Urza's free. Urza's free. Urza's so easy. Maria, you will have to find the mana, but you have the, the rest of the turn to make use of the card. <laughs> but yeah, they, until any point has been relevant, like, because a lot of the time, like in combat or something, Maria might die and you can just get the card ready for the second main. Like, I have seen stuff like that. I have had a point find Chalice off the top, like digging three cards with Maria when they are looking for a free spell. Yeah, so I guess... We could think of that as Maria's ETB if we want to, right? If you're expecting her to immediately die to Unholy Heat or Leyline Binding or something, you can still potentially get a card out of Maria just by using the second ability in response. You have the rest of the turn to make good on that. Yeah. 
it's not as great as an Ursa, but it's three mana, and it finally gives us something close to a rule of fate regarding Ursa. That's true. That's true. It doesn't go infinite with Doctor Foundry, sadly. It goes only semi-infinite. It does go infinite. What do you mean? Yeah, but it doesn't go doubly infinite. Ursa goes super infinite. Ursa gives. Ursa wins you the game because you draw your whole deck as well. I see. This goes tiny infinite. So that's one of the combos that uh, Maria has been doing some good work in. Just jamming her into the Thopter Sword combo. And the reason that there's a difference here is that non-token clause. So if you're familiar with Thopter Foundry and Sword of the Meek, the way that works is for every mana you spend, you get to sacrifice your Sword of the Meek to make a Thopter and get a life. The 1-1 comes in, the sword comes back, untapped, right? So if you just have those two... For as much mana as you have, you get that many Thopters and that much life. If you add in something like Urza to the mix, now you can tap the sword every time it's going through the loop, and you can tap the new Thopter. So you actually are putting one mana in, getting two mana back, in addition to your life and your Thopters, which lets you get not just infinite life and infinite Thopters, but also infinite mana, which is enough to then activate Urza a million times, and hopefully the opponent has just conceded, but if they make you play it out, you you will eventually play your whole deck. Now, Maria can do most of that, most of that. What Maria can't do is she cannot tap the new Thopter. She can tap the sword, so that allows you to keep making infinite Thopters and gaining infinite life, but that's it. Okay. Yeah, likely enough, but it's worth making sure that you're not going to win on the spot as Ursa would. Right, you have to pass the turn with infinite life and infinite Thopters. Well, hopefully that wins. That's likely going to win, especially because you can remake infinite tokens on the end step. But a Supreme Verdict is a Supreme Verdict. It's true. <laughs> All right, so we more or less understand how the card works. I guess the next question is, like, is this card any good? What do we like about it? And what are some of the big considerations we should be thinking about? So the first question, what about the colors? I mean, are we concerned about being in Gruel colors? These are not the traditional artifact colors. So I think that's... Um Format dependent. In modern, we don't care. We have extremely powerful mana bases that can afford to just splash media in any colors we desire, especially when we also have mana fixing provided by artifacts. The combination of drums plus the lands makes it super easy to actually play this in a Temur shell if that's what we desire. However, in Pioneer, it's a bit annoying because the first thing you think in Pioneer with media is something like Emery or Keenan. And playing a 3-4 color mana base in Pioneer becomes a lot tougher which would have made Medi if Media was like um Simic or Mono Blue a lot better. Yeah, I think this is one of the cards that they deliberately put it in weird colors in order to be like interesting for Commander so that it's like a forward compatible, you know, there's maybe not enough stuff in Gruel right now, but it w- they will. In time you can build a cool Gruel artifact deck. We don't have that kind of patience here, right? <laughs> no, no, <laughs> we need results now. Exactly. We're just going to splash for it. Get the Spire of Industries. Get the Springleaf Drums. <laughs> Throw a Gilded Goose in if you have to. Uh, I think Courier's Briefcase is going to be a common card. We'll see. That is essentially a treasure. But importantly, it's a real card. It's not just a token. So It's a non-token treasure. It's a non-token treasure. So in a pinch, it can get you that third color if you're splashing for Maria. Uh, or you can just tap it for either of Maria's two abilities, which is nice. Um, so yeah, I, I think that a light splash into three colors is definitely doable in Pioneer, although it's just not as free as in Modern. Yeah, exactly. In Modern, it's not even a problem or consideration. In Pioneer, you actually have to make some 
testing and some fumbling around to figure to figure it out. Apart from the colors, what do we think about Maria's overall strength as a card? Right, like is she just extra Urzas, or is there some things that you know make her powerful? So I don't think she's better than Ursa in almost any regard. She's a tad better at drawing cards, but coming without the huge construct makes her a lot weaker on her own. Like dropping a Merion board is a lot less powerful than just dropping an Ursa, right? Alongside the fact that it also likes to bite Lightning Bolt, not leaving a threat behind is pretty relevant. Well, that's certainly true, but I'm thinking about what we said last time about Lord Windgrace versus Omnath. Like, obviously Omnath does more, but resolving a four-mana blue thing is not the easiest thing to do. Three versus four is a big difference, and also not being blue can often be an advantage, so I'm, I'm kind of thinking that just existing at a different spot on the curve makes Maria, like... A whole different class of threats. Okay. Like, in what regard? I always tend to say that's worse Ursa, but you think maybe it's the... It's the cheaper cost that allows it to play to get into play cheaper. I did see the line of, like, turn three, Media Blast Howling Mine, which was pretty good. I had it happen against me. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the interesting synergies. Although Urza could do that too, I think it's more just like, what I'm envisioning is that Urza is usually the top of the curve. Like, if you're using Urza to ramp to something else, you're probably doing it wrong. However, Mary is like, cheap enough, and maybe in Pioneer, especially in Pioneer, that I could see her as like, being the bridge that gets me to my next big thing. Whether that's Paradox Engine, or uh, as David has sketched out a song of creation list for us. There's a number of things that... I think it was like big card draw engines, and you typically have to pair that with a big mana engine. And I don't want my big mana engine to cost four or five. Okay. If Maria can do it at three mana, that's great. Kinnon can do it at two mana. So like now I feel like the curve is starting to shape up in a way that makes sense to me just when I'm like looking at my turn by turn sequence. Like, okay, I'm going to establish my mana first, and then on turn four, I'm ready to go off. Whereas Urza, I mean, okay, in theory, Urza could do that too, but like three versus four is a big difference there. Yeah, it's. I mean, but the thing with Urza is also the fact it pays for it, the one mana difference on itself when it enters due to the construct as well, right? So it isn't that damning. But Miria allows you to like untap on turn four with a million mana. Whereas Urza is like you tap out on turn four and yeah. try to do one other thing. Okay. Okay, yeah, I get it. The cheaper mana has to be relevant in a lot of scenarios. Yeah, I mean, we just know this to be true with Magic in general. So I guess it remains to be seen how much of a difference that makes in the style of deck that Maria and Urza lead to. But I suspect it'll be a big difference. Uh, I think the other thing that Maria does really well is that she's a big mana engine that also is like a self-contained card draw engine. And this is one of the problems that you tend to have in a deck like... um, like, picture any deck using Song Creation or any deck using Mystic Forge or even Paradox Engine or whatever. These are cards that they really need a lot of mana support. Yeah. And for that reason, you end up with, like, a kind of a fragile construction where you have, like, you know, maybe eight payoffs and then a bunch of mana sources. But if they just stop the payoffs, you're screwed. So Maria is, like, a mana source or it's part of the mana engine that also can just, like, single-handedly power you through. Like, if you are focused on stopping the paradoxical outcome, let's say, hmm. or the song of creation. Like, Miria can just pull ahead and kill you. Okay. 
So she's like a backup draw engine. She combines both halves of the deck in a single card. And I think we really haven't seen a card like that. I know Urza has that pay five ability, but that's not really the same. Like that's, you know, you do that once a turn. But Mira, you could do it many times. You could do this, I don't know, three times in a turn with Mira. Uh, yeah, I, I do agree with that. The fact Maria allows you to just go as easily. Like, the requirement being so lower, I think it's key of what makes her good. All right, another question for you, Mord, is what are some artifacts that we should be thinking about here? So we discussed that slightly a few minutes ago, where we go, like, mana-producing ones are decent because they become drawing sheen, but they don't provide you mana. So, ideally, I think one of the best possible cards is stuff like Howling Man, right? Howling Mine which actually gives you an upside for being tapped. Because Howling Mine has all the really old Mordo artifact cards only work when untapped. We're talking about Howling Mine and a few others like Winter Orb and such from the good old days. Trinisphere, I think. Static Orb. Static Orb? Yeah, Static Orb does. Trinisphere, I'm not quite sure, but exactly. So if you have stuff like that, it's probably the best possible thing. But then other artifacts that have additional value because of their ETV or their state effect, like Experimental Synthesizer, Portable Holders, for Sentinel, those are likely the second best as they become both a mana source, an ETV, anything like a removal, and eventually a card draw engine when needed. Yeah, a card like Portable Hole is a perfect example where you play Portable Hole, it removes something, and you've gotten your card worth, you've gotten a great deal. And then you just also have this extra artifact just sitting around doing nothing. That's the perfect card for Maria to use, right? The portable hole was not doing anything else. So any mana you get out of it or any times you tap it for Maria, it's just all profit. It's the opposite of a Darksteel Citadel or a Springleaf Drum. Oh, yeah. Artifacts who need to actually tap themselves to give you their value don't play so great with Maria. Existing somewhere in the middle of those are... Like cards like Mishra's Bubble. They're decent to have, they ramp you a mana, but you don't get the extra value from tapping them. Right. So I actually do think that, you know, there is a build of Miria that's just like a bunch of zero mana artifacts, of which Mishra's Bubble is the best one. But like, yeah, you'll just have these game objects that don't really do anything. And then when they kill Miria, then you crack the bubbles and try to draw your next copy of Miria, for example. So. What about a Maria Degli Sats with Ornithopters, Menmites, Bubble, and who we draw Maria? I mean, yeah, you now have Urza as well, so... Exactly, and we just go deep. I mean, I know that sounds, that sounds ridiculous, but I kind of want to try it. I mean, I think your only plan to win is Constructs, right? From Ursa Saga and, and Ursa, and hope that's enough. You maybe can just fit in sort of the MiG, which has some minor synergy with Menmite as well. One of the things that I want to explore, I haven't sketched this out yet, but I really love the idea of like playing off the top of your deck, right? Experimental Frenzy, one of my favorite cards. Let's you just play cards off the top of your deck until you get stuck. So want you unstuck yourself with Media? Exactly. And ex- Experimental Frenzy has two things holding it back. One is you run out of mana. Two is you get a second land on top and then you're just done for the turn. Maria solves both issues at once, right? She can clear away the land, she can provide mana. And in both cases, like, yeah, you probably want the rest of the deck to be as free as possible, so a bunch of zero drops could do that. And if you don't trust Experimental Frenzy, then, you know, substitute a reality chip, substitute a 
Mystic Forge. These are the same kind of things, right? Playing off the top of your deck can be very powerful, can be very explosive, as long as you don't hit clumps. So yeah, if, if you have something going on where you're, you're trying to control the top of your deck, right? Maybe you have Dragon's Rage Channeler in place, you have Surveil, so you, now you know when the top of the deck is something that you can play with Maria. Like, there's actually an interesting little mini space there that I, I like that Maria encourages us to look at that space again. Yeah. I think if just Slavic Experimental Synthesizer, it might be insane, but it seems super fun to just play a really low to ground deck that the only things you cast for more than one or two mana are Ursa and Maria. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, Experimental Synthesizer and Experimental Frenzy, you put them both together. Why not? Oh, you actually managed to pronounce the Synthesizer? Synthesizer, what? It's not even hard. Yeah, <laughs> it's crazy. I don't know what the big deal is. <laughs> okay, so I think that's a good big picture look at what Maria's trying to do. Let's see how Maria actually works. So immediately after release, it had a number of 5-0s in what was the Pioneer Engine combo, like, right? I think it was the first results it had. Yeah, exactly. Week one. And I think you and David covered these decks when we, we did our kind of week one tech roundup. Paradox Engine combo. So what you're looking to do is, by hook and by crook, whatever you got to do to get a Paradox Engine into play, then you have something like, hopefully Emery, but you know you can also do it with um, just enough copies of Springleaf Drum and Elvish Mystic or whatever to keep on tapping these and just play as many spells as you can. Now, the, the easiest way to combo is with the card Courier's Briefcase and Emery. Courier's Briefcase, you just keep sacrificing it. So as long as you have one mana producing artifact, in general, either Drum, Prototype, or Amber, alongside a one-drop, and they're also playing the some of the decks play mana dorks as Elvish Mystic and Lano Arrows to add to consistency of that and ramp into the Paradox Engine. You will go infinite with just that. Yeah, so two versions of this have five owed. I think the biggest difference is that one of them was playing six mana dorks. Oh, I was gonna say Relic of Legends, but yeah, I guess there was a difference in the number of mana dorks. Relic of Legends is a three mana artifact. Taps for any color, so it's a manolith, but it also says tap and untap legendary creature you control to add another mana of any color. So you can actually tap Kinnon or tap Maria herself with the Relic of Legends. This also. Now, again, that doesn't synergize. <laughs> exactly. This also doesn't work with Kinnon. Right. But it gets you to the five mana. So again, th- like here, we see very clearly that, okay, the payoff costs five. We just got to get there first. So we got a bunch of the deck dedicated to mana. The fact that Maria provides that mana and in a pinch can gives you like a little extra card draw, I think does shore up one of the weaknesses of this deck in the past. Like previous versions of this before Maria existed only had like 10 payoff cards in the entire deck. You just stop those 10, the deck does nothing. That is bound to happen. This is one of the few decks that would make me sad if Karn gets banned because I'm just looking something to hit Monogreen out of Pioneer. Or at least we can eat. And as much as I would love to see Karn go, I don't like to see this sort of deck die because of it. Although I will say, Mord, if you're concerned about Karn getting banned, our friend Servo Token, friend of the show, he writes budget content at playingpioneer.com, great website. Uh, yeah, he's just drafted up a Karn-free version that comes in at just 60 ticks on Magic Online. 65, rather. Yeah, it's a cool combo for sure. But Paradox Engine, we already know about that. Let's get on to the new stuff. Talk to me about Song of Creation. Oh, Song of Creation. 
What a beautiful day. <laughs> so we have some of creation from an enchantment from Ikoria, because who doesn't love cards from Ikoria, right? A green, a blue, a red, and a one. For enchantment that reads, you may play an additional land on each of your turns. Whenever you cast a spell, draw two cards, and at the beginning of your hand step, discard your hand. So this is one of those played and win or lose on the spot. Nothing else matters. So what does Media do here? Actually, she does a lot. The problem with Song of Creation doesn't tend to be running out of cards, because every single zero mana artifact you play that we have 16 of draws us a card. Ornithodress, Song Called Serpent, Mox Amber, Thormod Script, all are mana neutral or mana positive in the case of Mox Amber and draws two cards. Media, however, makes so all of these artifacts become mana positive, which is huge. Yeah, so the way that David has built this deck is a lot of four ofs for Song of Creation. Four Kinnon, four Maria, four Emery Lurker of the Lock. And then the rest is just cheap, cheap artifacts. We got four Mox Amber, four Tormod's Crypt, four Ornithopter, four Stonecoil Serpent, four Springleaf Drum, two Courier's Briefcase, two Moonsnare Prototype, and to win the game, two copies of Thassa's Oracle. 18 lands of which Spire of Industry plays an important role holding it all together. Holding the whole just pulling the weight of the world. Exactly. So the issue here is that, like, how many of those cards actually do anything, right? There's the song, there's the Emery, and that's it. And <laughs> now, I'm saying that Maria also counts, so that counts as, like, another draw engine. That's 12 cards that do something. And the rest, as light as a feather, pure breezy air. Yeah, there was these synergistic cards, and that's it. And that's winning an X-ray with the rest. You have stuff like Ornithopter, which are the pinnacle of winningless. <laughs> it makes sense. Like if you if you want to win with song, this is what you have to do. You have to play a lot of cheap stuff. Is it possible that David has gone too cheap? Like I think one of the things that Maria could allow is that it, it could allow you to use one mana cards. David has opted for mostly zero mana or mana neutral cards, but I'm imagining that if I'm actually going off with Song of Creation and the way this deck is built, I'll have like too much mana by the end. I'll have all these extra Tormod's Crypts and Ornithopters and really nothing to do with that mana. So maybe like, maybe we can compromise. Maybe we can take out some of the zeros and put in experimental synths, or if you don't like that, you could try um, the implements, the ones that just sit there until you sacrifice them to draw a card. That works nicely with Song, because Song, sometimes you have to like play a discard your hand and pass the turn. Implement gives you another way to kind of like restart the chain. Yeah. This is very undavid-like in the fact it plays a lot of playsets. Am I the only one seeing that? It is. Yeah, this is not his. This is super responsible deck building. Even the sideboard. I think this is a protest deck on his part. He like doesn't like this style of card. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is sort of a rivalry out of him. Like, but I'm just loving the fact this is super responsible deck building. Even the two thousand oracle, in case, so you don't like die to not being able to play them, or it's like the last card in the deck. Like, this is super responsible deck building. So the sideboard is interesting. It's four mystical dispute, four ether gust. Don't put too much stock on those. Those are kind of just placeholders. Four Antiquities War, three and a blue enchantment. First two chapters, when they trigger, you look at your top five cards, 
pick an artifact that goes to your hand. So you're kind of drawing two. And then on chapter three, all your artifacts become five fives and you can just attack for a bunch. Great card to get in the spirit of the Brothers War. So we're getting psyched up for that. And I think the theory here is that if the opponent is like seeing you're on a song of creation combo, you can almost juke them, right? They're not going to be prepared with fatal pushes or whatever to stop this sudden swarm of five, five artifacts. So yeah, Turbo Antiquities War sideboard plan. David has even gone so far as to use his final sideboard slots for two couriers briefcase and a, another Moonsnare prototype to just help with that Antiquities War plan. I do love the Antiquities War as a sideboard shook. I think the last time I have played that card was when I was trying to make Metal War Colossus work, and it just wins you so many games because people are not ready for it. Even if people have their pilot boost or, sh- or such for your media, in this sort of deck, it's not like Yogmoth. In that regard, when you're playing against Yogmoth, you have to make sure every single mana dork or creature alive dies before Yogmoth resolves. So you're playing a really get rid of everything on the board game plan. Against the Song of Creation decklist, you just ignore the drums, the thopters, the ambers, the Tormod script, or the serpents because they give nothing of value. Once you add the Antiquities War to the, mat- to, the- to the matchup that people have to actually think about it differently. Like, what can I interact with? All right, I'm intrigued. Let's give it a shot. One other deck in Pioneer that I'm keen to try. This deck was not very good when I tried it the first time out, but I think Maria could be the missing piece. So if you think back more to one of the first episodes when you and Zach were coming on, it was Crimson Vow Season, and we really liked the card Holebreaker Horror. We did. Beautiful creature. It's a 7-drop, seven 7-8 seven, flash Kraken Horror. Can't be countered, so it was kind of designed to be like a control, Mirror Breaker control finisher. But what I like was that it actually had combo potential, because what Holebreaker Horror says is... Whenever you cast any spell, you can either bounce a spell that's on the stack or bounce a non-land permanent. If you have like a Mox Amber or some other zero-cost permanent, that means that you could potentially, you know, with Holbricker Horror in play, and that's a big if, <laughs> right? But let's just imagine it's there. <laughs> just picture it's there. <laughs> a beautiful Holbricker Horror. I cast any spell and I point the bounce trigger at my Ornithopter. Pick up the Ornithopter, cast it, and I get to bounce something else. Well, I bounce another zero drop. And you can just keep looping these two forever with the Hullbreaker Horror's ability. Why, you ask? Well, that's a different question, right? Like, what's the point of all this? But my theory was that there's got to be some way to win. One of the ways that I thought of was, okay, well, Oath of Nyssa is a (laughs) one-mana permanent that basically draws the deck. And enables Moxamber. So, like, at some point, you know, I can just use... Oath of Nyssa and Mox Amber loop those two with Hullbreaker and draw a whole new hand. Oh, it doesn't. That's sad. Yeah, it doesn't unless you have a Legend in play. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, I'm going to play Kinnon. I'm going to play... We're going to have a lot of other Iron Legendaries. Yeah, and, you know, the, the usual suspects are there. A similar, like, okay, I have, like, a big draw concept. I need a lot of big mana, so I need my Elvish Mystics. I need my Springleaf Drums, etc., etc. I mean, all these decks kind of have the same structural desires and structural problems. So... Maria, I hope, can solve this. So one of the issues that I had when I tested this was, you know, they fight back, right? The opponents, pesky opponents, try to interfere with you all the time, and you end up getting stuck at, like, five mana, six mana. (laughs) I was, like, not quite there, right? And I think that if I just had something that gave a huge burst of mana, the deck would have been beautiful. 
Urza would be perfect. That's not legal in Pioneer. So Mario, I think, is going to be perfect. Mario on turn three or turn two even gets me to seven mana potentially on the next turn, right? And Hullbreaker Horror can't be countered. So it's not even a question of like resolving it. It's just like, okay, I gotta get to seven and Maria is wonderful at that job. So I'm actually wondering if I can revive this archetype here. I just love Hullbreaker Horror. I have been trying to slowly stifle it into my mid-range and control builds every single time in the sideboard. And then I draw it in the early game and I'm like, why am I playing this instead of Emragul? Well, you weren't playing Maria, so you couldn't get to seven, but now you can. And now you can. I just, the card is super sweet, so I just hope we can find it at home. Either Media or Hullbreaker. <laughs> there's new toys. I mean, there's a bunch of new toys since Crimson Vowel season. I think Experimental Synthesizer is actually a great pickup for this because that actually triggers upon leaving the battlefield. So if you just pick it up with a Hullbreaker Horror, you actually get another draw there. Moonstar Prototype was not printed at the time. Courier's Briefcase was not printed at the time. So there's actually like a ton of new options for this shell, and I just need to like math it all out and figure out the exact bill, but this is what I'm going to test first. Okay. Seems like a really good starting point. I think I'm going to go for the more mid-range builds that we're about to discuss. Okay, tell me about those. So, a lot of people went ahead and just added media to mostly and modern shells, of course, because it's super hard to play media mid-range in Pioneer. You have to try and win, right? So the next two decks in Pioneer, sorry, that I don't want to skip, are actually the Paradoxical Outcome decks. Which suddenly f- felt a tad weaker than just the alternative of looping with Emery and, and the engine, right? Right, I mean, these, these decks did not 5-0. These are just yeah. decks that people are thinking about. But, I mean, there's a bunch of cards that cost 4 or 5 and draw a bunch of cards. Paradox Engine is just too powerful of a card, right? It's insanely good. Paradox Engine removes the need to draw cards because it just lets you win immediately. But <laughs> if you want to make it more complicated, you could draw the cards first. <laughs> Paradox Welcome does that. <laughs> if a card gets banned in Commander due to how it's to combo with, it's likely too powerful to combo with. Yeah, so... We can think of like other big draw cards, like Paradoxal Outcome. I think the new Blue Defiler is a big draw card, Defiler of Dreams. I mentioned Mystic Forge already, Experimental Frenzy. A Reality Chip also makes sense, so you could tap that with Maria. So these cards all make sense. Song of Creation, of course. But I think that the ones we'll start with in Pioneer, at least, are the Song deck and Paradox Engine deck, and for me, the Hullbreaker Horror deck. But more you're talking about Shifting formats entirely. Yeah, yeah. Not only formats, but also archetypes. So we're still playing media. We're still playing an artifact-based deck. However, we're going towards something completely different. We're going out from the super combo, super all-in sort of plans into a a hard-and-scale game plan where media works super well with the whole lot of one or two artifacts we play. So we have the Ballista, the Walkers, the Arkbound Walker, the, the Arkbound Worker, Savas, Ravasher, Welding Shards, Osolith and such that allow us to play media as a super easy way to start drawing two cards or even three cards per turn with our artifacts such as Osolith or Welding Shard that are just laying there doing nothing. Exactly. It's, it's kind of non-intuitive because most of the cards you named are creatures and creatures I think of as, well, if I'm not attacking with them, what good are they doing to me? But Hardened Scales doesn't always need the combat step. Like sometimes the game is actually won in a single stroke with Arcbound Ravager dumping counters onto either Ink Moth Nexus or Ballista. 
And if you're just setting up for that, you know, like there's not really like a huge benefit to attacking with Zabalas and Arc Pound Worker or whatever in the meantime. So yeah, why not use them to support Maria and like dig towards your pieces? Yeah, so that's the thing with Hardened Skills, exactly. You only need to attack with one or two creatures. The rest are just laying there setting up. They're not actually attacking most of the time because they're tiny creatures or they have another plan. So you can use them with media pretty efficiently. Another than that is the Athopter Sword more mid-rangey combo. So it's it's a combo, it has the combo, but it has a fair plan alongside this percentile Stoneforge Mystic that is super annoying for a lot of decks to deal with. So this is an old deck, but new to the 5-0s. Um, the Hardened Scales deck, I think you and David covered the first 5-0. That deck yeah. is 5 0 twice with Maria. Thopter Sword, uh, yeah, there's actually been two 5-0s with this as well. They're more recent. So we explained already how Maria goes quote-unquote infinite. It's real infinite, it's just not infinite draw. Um, so it totally makes sense, and now you have a bunch of Urzos in the deck. Yeah, so now you have a bunch of Ursas which allow you to just go super, super deep in how you combo. As we said before, with sort of the meek, with media you don't get to win the game, but at least you get to make an infinite artifact and get infinite life. So it has to be worth something. So the reason I think a deck like this is strong is that obviously you have a much larger card pool in modern, so that means the artifacts that you're choosing actually do things. They don't just, like, they're not just springleaf drums. <laughs> they actually have yeah. effects, right? Esper Sentinel, Portable Hole, we have play sets of those. Thopter and Sword are obviously part of, like, a big game-winning combo. You have a bunch of cards here that support an Urza Saga's package, so that's Shadow Spear. There is one springleaf drum. Soul Guy Lantern. A couple of chromatic stars and ether spellbomb. All these cards cost one, but they have meaningful game text. And that you can tap them super easily, right? Portable hole, enter spellbomb, pithing needle, it's presenting the cards you can just tap, tap at your own desire without any downside. Yeah, most of them don't need to tap to generate some value, so you're going to get double use out of them, which is nice. No experimental sense here, that makes me a little sad, but so be it. We do what we can with the colors we have. I mean, you have all the colors. Yeah, but I mean, since requires a much lower curve, you're never going to see me play Caldra Complete, Ursa, and things as I said in the same deck. And if you do, kill me. Mm. Shoot me in the head before I keep making mistakes. But it combos with Goblin Engineer. You sack it for value. And then you keep finding Caldra and then Ursa. Can you cast them? No. But you tried. <laughs> you did your best. All right, so you find yourself drawn to these two strategies more. I'm always learning to more mid-range strategies. Like, um, the other, yesterday I went to play Popper at an LCS, like, three blocks away from me, right? then to go because my friends play there. And I was playing Goblin's combo. I won't get into the details of it. But I actually went, like, third in the tournament, and I never comboed, almost. Like, even with the combo decks, if I can find me myself in a controlling situation, I try to just lure myself into the mid-range aspect of the deck. I just don't work as a combo player. <laughs> All right, last deck we'll mention before we sign off here. Right away, you said Howling Mine, best artifact to pair with Maria. And I, I just had to smile you said that because, <laughs> like, yeah, it's the sweetest thing to pair with Maria, but Howling Mine is not a playable card. So it's the worst card, but the sweetest card. Right. And I mean, if you had to, like, make a definitive statement, why is Howling Mine not playable? The fact on its own, like, it's broken if you have... Right now you have 12 ways to tap it, which might get you a meaningful amount to consider it almost decent, because you have 
prototype Ursa Media. And two of those you can do on turn two or three, right? Turn three media plus Howling Mine is pretty easy with any one or two zero mana artifact that you have before. And Monster Prototype into Howling Mine is just a decent curve. However, the card on its own is card disadvantage of the highest degree, right? You play it, your opponent draws a card, and they remove it when one of the 100 million ways to remove it in Magic. <laughs> Teferi, bounce your Howling Mine. Teferi, bounce your Howling Mine. <laughs> Do you want to recast it? Draw my card, ending it. Draw my card, binding it. Nowadays, Collagans command it, Abrupt Decade, Wither Bloom command it. Everything kills a Howling Mine. And if your opponent is going to get the draw first, it's going to be devastating. So I cannot in good conscience recommend this, but if you were going to put Howling Mine into a deck with Maria, I assume Moonstar Prototype and Urza would also be there. How would the rest of the deck look? So the rest of the deck would, I think, because of what we said, be a Thopter Foundry combo. Because we have all the cards, right? We have also the Four Goblin Engineers, which are artificers, which, as I discussed before, allows you to play cards like Cavern of Souls. Because if your deck plays 16 creatures and 12 of them are artificers, that's pretty great. That's going to make it bound that you're going to be able to not only fix your mana for Engineer, Media, and Ursa, but make them uncontrollable is pretty huge. That's one of the finest ways to interact with Ursa, mostly. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, I like that, actually. Now it makes sense. So when I'm looking at the deck list, I mean, we have a list here. Yeah, so this was being played by Magicate. And then I think you also uploaded a YouTube video. I've played against this once or twice at least because it got a bit popularized. And it's like a pretty stock 22 lands, Forest Presentinel, 4 Portable Hole, 4 Monster Prototype, 4 Howling Mine, 2 Swords, and a full playset of Engineer, Foundry, Media, and Ursa. Alongside, of course, for Ursa Saga, because why would you not play for Ursa Saga in this sort of decklist? So it almost looks like the 5-0 lists with, that we just discussed with Thopter Sword, but they just took out four of the useful cards and put in four Howling Mines instead. Yes. <laughs> like, to make it sweeter, which is fine. I mean, that's, that's a fine way to approach brewing <laughs> in modern. I did lose a game to double Howling Mine, though. Really? I had to spend my removal on an Ursus and such, and they went like, and they just managed to sneak in two prototypes and two Howling Mines. Well, I dealt with the good stuff. We gotta live a little bit. We gotta at least play Howling Mine once or twice. <laughs> if this is what it takes. Yeah, if Maria Week and Moonsnare Prototype Week is what it takes, like, let's just try it. I'm sure that all the disasters will happen, but when you, when you lead on Prototype into Howling Mine, that's gonna be so sweet. <laughs> Yeah, it's sweet. I just can't recommend this in good mind, but I think if you want to have fun testing, if you want to win, stick to playing better artifact combo decks. Like Breach. Breach is winning everything. Congrats, she. So do you think grinding Breach could actually make use of Miria, or is that a little bit too far afield? I don't think so. I think it's too far off the edge. The mana base right now is also splashing white for the Feria, and it's already struggling because you're at a 20-card deck with four Ursa Saga. Sorry, a 20 land deck with Forza Saga. Flashing the third color is already pretty punishing in a lot of spots. Let's not even talk about the fourth one. So I think that's probably a fair assessment. It needs to be said. It at least needs to be said that there is a powerful interaction between Grinding Station and both Maria and Urza, right? The fact that Grinding Station untaps itself anytime yeah. an artifact comes into play means it's like a stunning mana source. You could always do that with Urza if you wanted to, but we rarely played those together. 
Mario is a little cheaper, a little more plausible, and you can actually tap Grinding Station for either of Mario's two abilities, so it can make a huge amount of mana, or it can just draw you half a card over and over again, because, you know, if the card you drew was an artifact, that untaps your Grinding Station, you're good to go again. Two Grinding Stations in play, you could just, you know, go through the entire deck. I'm not going to rule it out. Maybe it's not going to be like, okay, stock grinding station. And I just shove Marias in there. Maybe there's like a slightly different configuration. We'll make it worse to make it sweeter, to make it a Maria deck. But I think that's okay. Oh, well, I think if you change the configuration, they might be a Maria deck. I just wouldn't try to fit in to the current grinding station, which is already too tightly packed. Right. No, we have to remove yeah. something that makes it good. Okay, <laughs> so. okay, good. Yeah, but I mean, it's, it's not totally out of the question, like not just that interaction too, but think about Underworld Breach. Oh, yeah. Right? It's a really powerful draw engine if you're not stuck on mana, and Maria provides you so much mana. So she just makes Breach better. Yeah, you also have to fill your graveyard, so it's a tad harder. It is going to be, you know, it's going to be different, but yeah. I think Maria does good things with these decks. So food for thought. All right. Yeah, that will be super interesting to see. Also, before we, we, before we leave, um, updates in people complaining in the Magic Real. Everybody's complaining because, as we just said, the release is the 15th of the, of the Brothers War and the regional tournament of Pioneer is, I think, the 16th or the 17th. So no testing for any of you online players. Wait, the regional championship is two days after the paper release? No, the, the, online, the online release, six days after the paper release. So good luck to anybody that needs testing. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's going to be like in the days of old, right? Yeah. Everyone has wanted a pre-release Pro Tour. Let's make it happen. Exactly. <laughs> the, the people are asking why the hell wasn't it going to be just like drafty they're going to do this, but that's as fun. <laughs> All right, so I think we covered a good range of things we might want to explore with Maria. Is there anything else? I mean, any stones left unturned or any... Stray thoughts? Hmm, not much else, I think. I think Media is a pretty complete card. I think it's pretty interesting due to the fact mostly of of it being like a tiny Ursa, but also being cheaper while doing so. And the fact you can draw cards so easily if your artifact is a lower curve. Like, as long as whatever you're drawing, whatever you're exiling costs one or two, its drawability becomes so much cheaper than Ursa's one. Which makes it a little interesting in a different kind of deck, like the one we discussed with a lot of Ornithodress and such. Yeah, definitely a forward compatible card. I mean, there's going to be more artifacts printed. There's going to be more Gruel cards printed that work with artifacts. So it's possible that we'll find that, okay, Maria's solid, but the decks that she supports are like not quite there yet. And that's okay, right? That's still a useful finding for the future. Nevertheless, I'm going to pin my hopes on this Hullbreaker Horror deck. I'll probably also brew something with Experimental Frenzy and Experimental Synth. Those are too good to pass up, right? <laughs> <laughs> and we'll see how it goes. Too good to say not to. Exactly. All right, I think that's a good place to leave it here. Seems perfect. Dan, thanks so much for having me. The Giddens video for Will. They're sleeping right behind me. I had to go get one that was trying to escape into my room. <laughs> One small squeaky step for kitten kind. I love that they aren't walking, they're stumbling. Oh my gosh. So thanks so much, everybody. Have a nice night, and please take your votings as tonight it's the final hours for the monthly project for next month. And if you vote for Queen March, no, you earn my undeserved and always eternal hate. <laughs> thanks so much, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
Decklist for this episode can be viewed at our homepage, faithlessbrewing.com. And tune in next time for the winner of our monthly project, plus testing results with Soul of Wind Grace. Support for this podcast is provided by brewers like you. Join the Faithless family and help support the show at patreon.com slash faithlessbrewing for Discord access, bonus content, and more. That's all for today. Stay safe and we'll see you next time. Thank you.